Grace, mercy, and God's peace be yours this day from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus. This evening, we want to take a look at the high priest, Caiaphas. Throughout the Old Testament, perhaps the peak of religion was the office of the priesthood from the very first sin all the way through until Jesus' death on Calvary. It was necessary, and it was established by God himself. You know, interesting, people describe religion as man's search for God. Christianity is God's search for man. It's not written record by men. It is God's revelation to us. And in this, we find that in the Old Testament, God established especially this, or, this special role of the priesthood. The priest stood between God and man. He represented God to the people. He represented the people to God. He offered sacrifices from the very beginning from sin up and through Calvary. Countless animal sacrifices were offered up to God for sin. It was a poignant picture and lesson that sin is serious business. Every sin demands a price be paid in blood, and every one of those sacrifices was like an object lesson. And yet, we read in the New Testament the book of Hebrews, which is a beautiful exposition of the Old Testament. In the book of Hebrews, it tells us that not one of those animal sacrifices actually paid for any one sin. You know, you might see millions of sheep going, duh. They were an object lesson to show how serious sin was. And it was the priest's job. There was in general of the 12 tribes of Israel, God selected and chose the tribe of Levi. Were those people that much better? No. We had the 12 tribes. They all had their faults. In fact, they all go back to the 12 sons of Jacob. If you remember the stories about the sons selling their brother, Joseph, into slavery. And then Joseph, the great things he did. You know, if, if you and I were doing the choosing here, we probably would have selected the line of Joseph. They were more deserving. Those were the two tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. But see, God isn't looking for deserving. That's not grace. God's grace is simply him choosing. And that's what he did with the priesthood. God chose. Even today, sometimes people will question, they say, well, aren't these people more qualified? Our answer is probably going to be yes, probably. God isn't looking. This is an old cliche you've heard before, but God isn't simply looking for the qualified. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies those he calls. I wish I made that up, but I didn't. But it's what happens. He calls. He called Judas. He calls, and then he moves and he fills and gives us all the gifts. And so we have the priesthood. God calls the priests. God chooses. Man doesn't apply. It is God's choice. And that's really the whole story of God's grace. Now we want to look at the priests. You know, we see the Old Testament priesthood, and wow, every year they choose a new high priest to go into the Holy of Holies. And, and then we get to Jesus' day, and we say, what? 
you know, what, what's this serving nine years and 12 years? And, you know, they weren't exactly following the prescription that God had set down for them. John tells us that when Jesus was arrested, he was first taken to Annas, not Caiaphas. He was taken to Annas. Now, Annas had served as high priest for about nine years until he was deposed by the Romans. What this means is that Annas was the high priest when Jesus, at the age of 12, went with his parents down to Jerusalem for that first Passover for him, when he stayed behind answering and asking questions of the priests and the learned scholars in the temple, yeah, Annas would have been high priest back there probably overseeing. But guess what, Annas? The boy is back. Annas, he was the real power behind the priest, priesthood. He wasn't just priest emeritus. He was a power broker. They brought Jesus to him first to make their plans, what to do with Jesus, how to proceed. Annas had five sons that served as high priest, and Caiaphas now was his son-in-law. But he was no bit player. Caiaphas was a major role player himself. Caiaphas. About 30 years ago, some construction workers in Jerusalem were doing some bulldozing and they uncovered a tomb cut into the rock. And in there were a bunch of these, well, bone boxes. They're called ossuaries. And as they cleaned them off and read the writings, the inscriptions on them, a number of them bore the name of Caiaphas. But one in particular, Joseph bar Caiaphas, which scholars interpret as Joseph, also known as Caiaphas. And scholars are pretty much agreed that this is his bone box, his remains. Now, in the scholarly world, there are those that say, finally we have some proof. We sort of scratch our heads. My friends, we have the most correct historic record of all, and that is our holy scriptures. You know, it was intended to give us a history of God working with people. And so we've got the record. We don't, we don't need further proof, although it's interesting. Caiaphas. Now Caiaphas's job was to prepare the case for the Jewish council. By law, they were supposed to meet in the daylight, but then nothing here was going by law anyway. They wanted Jesus dead. And so they met at night, and he was trying to put together the case so that at first light of day, they could convene the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, and they could have their court case and they could send Jesus off to Pilate and death. Problem was, they needed, as the Jews did, two or three witnesses. Now, we're reading in the Gospels about two. They, they weren't worried about three. They were worried about just getting two. And they were trying to be strictly legal about it. That was probably part of Caiaphas's problem because they would take the so-called witnesses that had charges against Jesus, they would sequester them, keep them separate so they couldn't coordinate their stories, bring them in one by one, interview them, listen to their charges, and then see if any two of these could agree. Well, they didn't. They, they were all across the board. Finally, you might say, Caiaphas pulled the ace out of his pocket. Finally, Caiaphas went to Jesus, and he puts him under the highest oath. He says, I adjure you, or I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us now if you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I mean, 
That is direct. Tell us if you are the one promised throughout scriptures. The one on whom the the faith of all the Old Testament people were based. They weren't saved by obeying the commandments, and they did a lousy job of that anyway. Their faith was faith in the coming Messiah for the forgiveness of their sins. Are you that person? Now, to this point, Jesus has been pretty relatively silent. But now, when Caiaphas charges him under oath... Are you the Messiah? What does Jesus say? The Gospels all form it a little bit differently, but really, it all means the same. They're all different ways of saying, well, the way Mark and Matthew put it, Jesus says, yes, it is as you say, but interestingly, as Jesus says it that way, he condemns them with his own words. It is as you say. You say it, and it's true, but you reject it. And so as he admits it, he condemns them. That is, yes, it is as you say. Now, I wonder how many of you have gone for a tax audit or ever been a witness in a court case. Have you been advised, don't say too much? You know, don't venture anything more than what you're asked. Just answer the questions. You, if you've been there, you understand don't say anything else. So what does Jesus do? He says, yes, it is as you say. And then he goes on. He says, but I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, we look forward to that. Revelation 1 tells us that he's coming in the clouds and every eye will see him, including those that pierced him. Like Caiaphas. He is coming. We rejoice. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4 talked about Jesus coming in the clouds. The dead will be raised and together we go to meet him. This is great stuff. We're looking forward to it. But Jesus here, now if, if Jesus had a lawyer, he didn't according to the scriptures, but if he had a lawyer there, the lawyer would have probably going, oh no, because Jesus, he laid it all on the line. This is who he is. Now, here's an interesting part. The words that Jesus said should have triggered something. Like, a little bit later on when Jesus was on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And down below they're saying, oh, I, I think he's calling Elijah. Get him something to drink. Do Whoosh, right over their heads. Now, if Jesus had said in, instead, the Lord is my shepherd, perhaps the whole crowd would have all said, I shall not want. But instead of Psalm 23, he quoted the first verse of Psalm 22, which starts out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then when you read through Psalm 22, it is like an actual description of what took place on Calvary, except it was penned by David 1,000 years before. It was a prophecy of everything that was going to take place to Jesus on Calvary. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? And it should have brought to mind, they should have said, wow, this is everything that was described. They missed it. Same here, Jesus says, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and on the clouds of heaven. They should have grasped it. This is one of the greatest prophecies going back to the prophet Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has this vision. And this vision and this prophecy 
guided faith for centuries as they looked for the Messiah. And this is what Daniel wrote. He said, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. He said, there one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days, God the Father, who was given glory, authority, power, and he was worshipped. No human is ever worshipped. Only God. One like a son of man. And you know, this scripture, this prophecy also explains why Jesus always referred to himself just about as the son of man and not son of God. When I was younger, I always wondered about that. Would Jesus, wouldn't it clarify things if he told them you're the son of God? But, you know, it was always the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins. The son of man has no place to lay his head. The son, he always referred to himself as the son of man, pointing back to the prophecy about himself. It should have triggered this, but of course it didn't. They missed it. And we know the rest of the story. Jesus was condemned. But here is that great picture of the high priest, Caiaphas, and Jesus, you might say, his boss. God himself. Caiaphas's job was to be the go-between between Jesus and his people. He failed miserably, but what can we take away from that? You know, what can we learn from the failures of Caiaphas? St. Peter says an interesting thing. In 1 Peter chapter 2, and that was our first lesson this evening, he writes... But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are a royal priesthood. Caiaphas belonged to the Old Testament priesthood. We are part of the New Testament priesthood. It's referred to as the priesthood of all believers. It's different from what the office of the ministry within the church. This royal priesthood is, is bestowed upon all of us, all of us baptized, all of us believers, all of us children of God. We are his royal priests to offer to him everything that he has asked from us, the sacrifices. And what are those sacrifices? Well, in Hebrews chapter 13, he puts it this way. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that confess his name. And he says, and do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, you know, do good and share with others. He calls those sacrifices. He says, God is pleased. God is pleased. So those are the New Testament sacrifices of the royal priests, that's you and me, our praise, our service, not just towards God, but also towards each other, our love, our forgiveness. You know, we are the priests. How do we differentiate ourselves from, say, Caiaphas? 
He was looking face to face to God, the one that he served, and rejected him. But then I think, yeah, when I look face to face, maybe not at God himself, but at his word, how do I react? When I look at his word, the Bible, and I see things that I don't like, things that don't seem to fit me, when I hear things from God's word that contradicts my life, my choices, my wants, my plans, my desires, or when I just want God and his word to sort of be quiet, leave me alone. I have my life to live. I believe in Jesus. I want to go to heaven. All this discipleship and obedience stuff, I'm not into it. Yeah, I'm kind of like Caiaphas, aren't I? You know, God has given us his word, and it's a life-giving word for his royal priests. See, that's the thing. God has chosen, just like he chose the priests of old, he has chosen you by grace. He didn't look and say, oh, I, I see some good qualities there. He chose you, and he loves you. And he is going to give you the gifts and the power to serve him, to do the things that he wants, you know, to proclaim his praises, his excellencies. He has brought us into his marvelous light. He loves you. And he sent Jesus to the cross and punished Jesus instead of you and me. Priests of God. Think about that. The royal priesthood. It, is it like the others standing between God and man? That's done away with. Jesus has filled that role. Jesus is the, our great high priest. He has gone between God and man. He is the one that says, come anytime in my name. He has ascended. He sits in the right hand of God. He is our intercessor. Whenever we pray, Jesus is there saying, Father, hear them. Do it for me. What a privilege we have as his priests to serve, to forgive, to love. And that's how we represent God to those around us as priests. We treat people the way we do because of who we are. We've heard this before. We'll hear it again. We can never hear it enough. So often we're tempted to treat people the way we think they deserve to be treated. We become judges. Well, you know what? That job has already been filled. God doesn't need more judges. He needs people to love and forgive and to care and to share his outpouring of love. And that's what he has called us to do. I, I know sometimes we say, well, I, I don't want to condone sin. You know, God has ways of speaking through it. Sin is still sin. I mean, that's where we started here with the sacrifices. Jesus died because sin is serious stuff. But he wants to love us to him. He doesn't want to drive us and force. He wants to love us and draw us to him. And through us, through you, his priests, he wants to draw others. That is our priesthood. Love, share, forgive, do good. Just show the love of Jesus Christ in our lives, the way we treat each other, the way we treat those around us, but especially in the family. That's where it starts off first, because isn't that where it's the hardest? Isn't that where we, we lose our coal, we have short tempers? Especially within the household of showing love, forgiveness, you are his dearly beloved, blood-bought child and priest. My friends, let us serve him with these joyful sacrifices. Amen.
And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.